Hello and welcome back to the Dice Breaker podcast. This is episode this is, this is 45. Because it got derailed before it even started. Yeah, I mean, as a behind the scenes glimpse, I suppose. We always have to pull out of some conversational tangent about... Well, we usually have to pull me in out of some conversational tangent. Yeah, the last five minutes has seen discussion of cat food, corner shops brimful of Asher. Which is a great tune. But the reason for that, as you say, Matt, is episode five, five so you know it was it was technically topical. Yeah, sure. Yeah, as as topical as Brimful of Asher has been in the last twenty years, let's say. Uh, I am Matt Jarvis. I'm here to host this Dicebreaker podcast alongside Alex Meehan. Yeah, hi. <laughs> Suddenly lost for words. Um, <laughs> and, of course, Michael Wheels Whelan. Oh, what's up? <laughs> Bringing Cole back into Asana, school. Dude. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we're here, of course. If if somehow this is your first time listening to the Dice Breaker podcast, where have you been? We've missed you, but come on in. You're very welcome. Uh, we're here to chat about board games and tabletop RPGs and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and potentially a lot of other stuff as well, as oh, yeah. almost inevitably. <laughs> almost inevitably, yeah. It's, uh, we, to be honest, I think we spend more time talking about things that aren't board games than we do about board games. That's what people want from podcasts, though, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Just the loose semblance of being on topic without actually being on topic. Uh, let's kick off, as we do every week, with what we've been playing. Let's start with you, Wills. What have you been playing recently? Yeah, it's been a while since I've been on, right? Um, I So literally this morning, myself and Lolis, uh, for a video that's going to be up on the channel already, I think, by the time that this podcast goes out, um, we did a Let's Play in our new series of You Haven't Played This, uh, and we played Santorini, which is a bit of a classic two-player game. It's a lot of people's favorites, I think. Um, it's a very, very pretty game. It's it's sort of like a, um, for anyone who hasn't played it, you kind of play on like this 3D like cardboard island, um, which is this sort of beautiful shade of green. And you're putting these white block buildings with little blue roofs on top, reminiscent of the Grecian Isle of Santorini. Um, but it's kind of like this abstract um, sort of like puzzler where you've got two little workers. And on your turn, you move one of your workers a space away from itself. And then you have to build... A building on one of the spaces surrounding it so you know if you move diagonal and then build diagonal or you or you move for orthogonal and build orthogonal whatever you want but whenever you build a building you choose the space it's going on and you add one block but because these little building blocks fit together you can make these little towers um and to win the game you have to move one of your buildings uh your builders sorry onto the third story of the building um, and you can sort of stop people by putting those domes on the roof to stop them being able to move there. So it's kind of like this logistical kind of movement puzzle where you're you're trying to like uh, jump away from the other player whilst also trying to block them from doing things. And it's always like it's it's super simple. Like you can learn the rules in like seconds. Um, but it's quite an interesting little fun little puzzle to play against people. Uh, the thing that mixes it up a bit is you get these sort of god cards, which are basically like power cards. Um, so, for example, we had, like, Hephaestus, I think, who allowed you to not only build one block, but if it's the first one you put in a space, you can go all the way up to two in a single turn. Or there's someone who allows you, like, different win conditions, like Pan, I think, for example, has 
instead of getting up to the third, you can jump from the second story down to the floor to win or something like that, you know? So you only get like two of those and you pick which one you want. Um, but that just sort of mixes it up a little bit. And there's quite a few in the box. So there's, you know, there's quite a lot of variants each time you play. But it was good fun. I really liked it. Mm. it was really was cute. it you, you who had not played before? Yeah, so okay. I had not played Santorini. So I, I was telling this to Lotus. Ironically, um, when we went out for... Uh, oh, God, which one was it? Was it? I think, yeah, it was Pax Unplugged. When we went to Pax Unplugged, um, I met up with my brother because he lives on the east coast of the US. Uh, and I bought him a copy of Santorini to play <laughs> with my niece. Uh, and was like, yeah, everyone says it's really good. I've never played it, but everyone says it's really good. And I thought it'd be a, sort of like a good fit for like a younger player who's just getting into to more complicated board games. And I think it's like it's that simple enough thing, and it's pretty enough, and it's brightly coloured enough that you, yeah, you'd really be able to get good mileage out of it with a younger player. Mm. Yeah, the app is also very good if people haven't uh, played. I've not tried the app. Yeah, the app on mobile is it's very pretty. I think helped, like you say, by the fact that it is kind of at its heart incredibly simple. Because mm. I think the physical it's, well, it's one like, is just like a big plastic, like you say, big plastic island, and then just like it obviously builds up, right? But it's yeah, because it, it's got that sort of like it's kind of thing that kids like doing anyway, right? Because you like you're building little blocks. It's got it's got like a Lego feel to it. So it's I think it would be really popular for younger people. But I had a great time, and I'm 26. So. <laughs> <laughs> but you have the, you have the heart the heart of a child. Yeah, I've got the brain of a child. Too. <laughs> <laughs> in all but body i am a child <laughs> um but actually to be honest all of the games that i've played uh since last being on the podcast have been you've never played games uh because we also played welcome to which mm-hmm. is really good although maybe i talked about that last time i was on i can't remember did we talk about welcome to welcome maybe really good. i think oh, no, i'm gonna John... talk about it anyway welcome to is <laughs> welcome to is not a roll and write but a flip and write which we didn't realize at the time um which uh, Lodi's sort, sort of taught both to me and Johnny. Um, but you're kind of like filling in the house numbers for these streets. And it's kind of like, once it's like a little logistical puzzle of, of where you're going to put things. And like, it sounds really boring when you describe it. It's like, um, yes, you're going to be a, uh, a building project manager and uh, you're going to be designating numbers to uh, buildings on a street. And you hear that and you think, wow, I'm, I'm going to fall asleep. But actually... It's really, really fun and really engaging. And like, by the time that we finished, because I think we did two games in the video. By the time we finished, I was like, "I want to do a, do a third one." And I was like, <laughs> half joking, but half like, I'd love to play another game with this. So I think I might have to get another copy. Um, and we also played King Domino, which yeah. I know you loved, Matt. But I, here's a fun thing: I then went home and played Queen Domino. Yeah, the superior choice. I hope you agree. <laughs> There's a lot well, of people that prefer like King to Queen, version, right? I think they're wrong. Yeah, well, because King Domino is just like a very simple game, like Santorini, but Queen Domino is more like, all right, let's make this a little bit more meaty, a little mm. bit more chunky. Um, so <laughs> Chunky's always better. Chunky's a great, great adjective. Um, but yeah, there's, <laughs> there's like, so King Domino is basically, you know, you're playing dominoes and you're making these little um, patches of land and getting points for each one. Um, but Queen Domino adds this whole sort of building and tax mechanic, which I was like, when when I was first reading through the rules, I was like, oh no, this is they've added quite a bit to this. Like, there's mm. there's a fair few um, like bits of uh, of gameplay to learn. I really love the taxing stuff, which is essentially um, kind of like Carcassonne. Whenever you place a tile, you can put a meeple on it. You get these little ditty little so knights. Small. They're, They're so, so easy small. to lose. They're really cute though. Um, yeah, you get these tiny little knights, and you can you can put them on a tile that you just placed to tax the region it's in 
So if you've got like eight different forest tiles next to each other, you get a coin for each. So you get eight coins, which is really good. Um, but it makes this really nice thing of like, you get this huge region, you're like, oh, coins attacks this bad boy. Here we go. <laughs> Puts you into a real land baron method. Yeah. Mm. And you can also yeah, pay the dragon, which I like. You can. You pay the dragon to go and burn down buildings from the centre. <laughs> this, <laughs> this lovely family-friendly game where you tax the locals <laughs> to, so they're penniless and, and you, pay, you use that yeah. money to pay a dragon to destroy the <laughs> yeah. homes. Slip a 50 oh, to the dragon. Also, also, there's a mechanic where you can put towers uh, down and whoever has the most towers gets the queen. Uh, and she gives you a discount on your buildings. But you, if you have the queen at the end of the game, you also get bonus points. So you're basically gentrifying as well, which is great. <laughs> I don't know if they've changed it since I, since I got my edition, but the queen doesn't fit in your castle. It's like you get you get the queen, but you've got like a little 3D castle, but she yeah. doesn't actually fit. She's like, yeah. The meeple is just a little bit it? too wide. Although Matt, we... she do- Matt, she doesn't fit in your boxes, okay? <laughs> She's, She's too large in charge. It's right? her castle. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, um, I don't know. I think what because you're placing little towers, which are basically little bits of castle, right? Um, the way that we did it is like whenever you had the more castles, you put her in the most recent thing, like she's having a little tourist visit. Like, Ooh, <laughs> Just let's look at the new towers that've been placed since I went there. <laughs> yeah, it's oh, good fun. It's yeah, really good fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, to be clear, King Domino also a great game. I just personally prefer Queen. Yeah, I think because it has that extra little bit to it. Yeah, and I think the thing with Queen Dominoes is you can just play King Domino with it anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah, you, you can, can combine them, right? I think. Well, yeah, but like apart from the building tiles, which don't have um, crowns on them by default, it's pretty much if you just strip out the um, like the other components, you are basically just playing King Domino. Like the, all the components are kind of there. It'd be a little bit weird because you'd have some regions that just don't score, but I guess that'd just be another little challenge for you. But but yeah, so nice. there you go. Yeah, Queen Domino, it's good. All of them, really good. Enjoying it. Yeah, and if you've not played any of these games, you can go and watch them be played on the YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we played all of them on uh, Board Game Arena, which is free to make an account on. So they're very, very accessible right now, especially during lockdown, which is really good. Hmm. Do you know if they're all free games on there? Because some of them. Welcome Two was a was a premium one, but I think the way it works is if you don't have premium, you can just wait for somebody else who does to join a game with you. Yeah. So you're basically just waiting for someone who's got a subscription to play. But I think even then it's like 20 quid for the year or something like that. So yeah, it's not, it's, it's not too exorbitant. Yeah. All right. Excellent stuff. Alex, Mian, let's turn to you. What have you been playing this week? Yeah. Hi. Uh... <laughs> have we done the introductions bit? <laughs> <laughs> this is the second bit. And I'm Wheels. <laughs> I was just being nice to the listeners and the viewers. Um... Yeah, I've been playing a lot of stuff, old stuff, really. I've not really played anything new. So I uh, played some Deadlands, which was good. It's mm-hmm. nice to get back into that again, the campaign we've been doing for a few months. Uh, it's going to some interesting places. Nothing, like, really wild in terms of, like, massive scope, but more just like, oh, I didn't think that cool little thing was going to happen so and i'm just like getting more and more into the system i think the system is just so good i like it may it allows you to build a really well realized character that has flaws and like you know uh 
abilities or skills or like specialities. I think when a RPG allows you to do that, that's the sign of a really, really good one. Mm. Um, because it's like using the gameplay mechanics and the character building mechanics to support like the narrative that you're you're creating. So yeah, loving that. Uh played some more Overboss mm. um over the weekend. Uh it's good, yeah. Like I, I spoke about it quite a lot last week. It's um a spin-off title to the Boss Monster series of card games. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, a board game, so uh, it's you've got a board and you have to use different tiles to to create your over sort of your realm. Uh, yeah, I'm, you... I'm sort of refreshing myself with the web page here, but yeah, <laughs> no, it's ringing a bell now. <laughs> yeah, um, and um, you yeah, and depending on what tiles you place where, and you've also got little monster tokens. Um, you score points at the end of the game. So it's a very, very straightforward game. You play it. It's very quick to play. It's like 15 to 20 minutes each game, which is really nice. Um, we played using some of the more advanced rule sets and pieces. So um, we played using some of the more advanced tiles, um, which was interesting. I think some of them fundamentally work better than others. Um, uh, particularly with some of the drafting elements. There were just some games where I was just getting really unlucky in terms of what was being drafted. And obviously there's just a natural random element to to the game. And I'd be interested to see how it would work with more players because I've only been playing it with two people. Myself, one of those people. Um, <laughs> just to clarify. Um, and I've been playing it with two people. Me and me. Me <laughs> <laughs> Myself and I. How many people does it go in front of a mirror? Me, me and that devastatingly handsome person in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, how many how many players is it? It's I think it's at least four players. Hmm. Um, again, I don't know the information off the top of my head at the moment, but you can find out on dicebreaker.com. We did a news story on it. Um, yeah, five. Up to five, I thought so, yeah. Um, so obviously the drafting mechanics with four, you can choose between four different combinations of tiles and monster each, you know, each go you have. And like sometimes it's great, but other times it just feels like the game is trolling me. And I know it's not, I don't feel like it's the game's fault that there, there is a lack of choice sometimes. Because, you know, being able to choose between four options isn't that bad. It's just, I think, just unlucky uh, sometimes and to be honest it creates a lot of um, hilarity more than anything I know one time I was just sat there going are you kidding me just looking at what was on offer while, while my team you know my opponent was sat there sort of smug because um, they had been getting a lot of really good options um, and we played using there are these uh, overboss cards you can use which are like character cards um, that are pretty straightforward. They just give you a, an ability you can use when you reveal who you are, and they can give you an objective you can complete to get more points. And I understand why it's offered as a separate mode, because it doesn't do a huge amount to the game. Like, this provides you with... Some of them are really stupid, which I kind of like, because 
I think it plays into the silliness of the game. Um, you know, I will say you, you can get them dealt randomly, so that might be a case for lack of balance. But again, it's an entirely optional thing. Like the game works fine just without them. Uh, uh, yeah, it just adds like a new dimension to it. Um, there's there's still like a large version we need to play that gives you a, a larger board to use, uh, as well as um, these command things that you can get that you can use once per t uh, game. I think that allow you to to do kind of powerful actions to like move some of your tiles around on your board and stuff. But I, I am in kind of impressed by just the sheer amount of stuff included in the game. Like the game itself is is not complicated at all, but it just provides you with options to make it is a it bit a more complicated. It was, yeah. Yeah, um, I wonder if that's why. Yeah, maybe this, I, I'm not 100% sure what version I've got. I believe I think, it's a retail version. Yeah. Um, Again, don't quote me on this. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's more the case of it's just none of it feels like pointless. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, if even if it is the Kickstarter version, like a lot of those extra bits that you can get, like often are often like just miniatures or like cosmetic stuff. But all this stuff like adds gameplay elements to the game. They're just not like fully reinventing it or breaking it or anything which i think is fine because the core game itself is pretty solid like it just gives you options to play around with it and keep it fresh uh it's not the kind of game i would play like constantly but i would say like it's it's an enjoyable one to to sort of dip into every now and then and i will say the way it's packaged is a little bit yeah, it's a bit messy. Uh, I think the components are really good, but the bag that you put the tokens in is a little flimsy, and it's kind of it's kind of leaving threads everywhere, which is annoying. <laughs> just shedding. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just shedding, and like living, being someone with long hair who lives with another person. Sorry, who lives with someone who also has long hair. It's like, we've got enough stuff shedding everywhere. We don't also need this small bag also shedding hairs. Um, but yeah. Um, and I also played Root, didn't I, Mr. Jarvis? You did, yes. Didn't we? Yes, we did. Well, I think I, I was yeah. present for this game of Root, but I'm not sure that this week I could be said to have played Don't Root. Don't gloat in this time. <laughs> my gim I mean, my gimmicks run either. out. This is it. This is the comeuppance I get. <laughs> yeah, uh, Matt didn't win, as you can probably gather. By a uh, long, the crown, Matt. long distance. Mm. I mean, <laughs> I didn't win. I didn't win either, obviously. Um, At least you got to double digits in terms of score. I didn't even <laughs> yeah. break that, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was rough for Matt. Um, I was the eerie again. We're playing this random, but for the past few games, I've been given the eerie, which is fine. I like the eerie. Um, and you were the Alliance, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and we played using the wind map again, which was our downfalls, really, because um, it's randomised the um, sort of, what do you call them, the types of the clearings. The clearings, yeah. Yeah, the types of the clearings are randomised with the winter map, uh, which I think we concluded just doesn't work very well because 
Root is a finely balanced experience and having the clearing types randomized just throws that off completely. So for you, I think it was the case of you just couldn't get your access like the clearings you needed to because they were in awkward positions. Yeah, I I did all like I I basically screwed up as well um, because I kind of trapped myself in a corner because of the different layout of the paths as well between the clearings. But mm. it was also that thing of with the alliance, you're trying to spread sympathy and put down your free bases. And one of my bases, I just never got to play because I yeah. really struggled to hold like the closest clearing of that suit to me. So mm. it was, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you in the, I like the alternative layout because I think it, there's an interesting kind of like, it almost splits the map in two and you have to go around the edges to get to things down the bottom. But the randomized clearings, I wish you could just it, ignore. Yeah. I wish, I really wish we could keep the aesthetic and just have the same layout. If you're playing the board game, you can. Because yeah, then you yeah. can just map <laughs> the yeah, random that... tokens to where they are on the other side. Exactly. But because we're playing the digital version, it does randomize it for you. Um, for me, it was just a case of I started my first turn um, in, a, a, in a corner that was all uh, rabbit and fox clearings. And I started the game with free mouse cards, which meant that I instantly went into what we call the birdie boiler, which is turmoil. (laughs) (laughs) I I basically said I'm just freely walking into the birdie boiler first turn straight away. It was just really unlucky. My card draw in that game was was abysmal. Just I didn't get... I, I did make mistakes, but I just did not get the cards I, I needed to do anything. still lost, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, our friend who played the um, the Marquise de Cat one. Um, although the uh, my other friend who's playing the Vagabond was almost getting there. Mm. They were very close. It was close um, between those two. You would you to be fair after the first few rounds, which I think were just stacked against you. Like you pulled back very well. I. Yeah, yeah. I, just didn't get I think it's especially bad for the Eerie if you have a bad start because they're all about setup. Like, mm. if you can get a good setup with the Eerie, you're, you're flying. But just having those first few turns be bad, it it really does slow you down, like, more so than any other faction, I think. Um, so there you go. Root talk. Yeah. Root two. Root, root, root two. Root two. Root two. The podcast within a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> And that's everything I have been playing, Mr. Jarvis. What about you? Uh, <laughs> Root's about the only thing I've actually managed to play, um, which I obviously lost, so I'm kind of reticent to talk about it anyway, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, I will say that, because we were chatting about um, Overboss, I'm not a huge fan of Boss Monster, but mm. I will... Boss Monster's weird, though, isn't it? Because it's like, everyone seems to know about it, and yet it's really mediocre. I think it gets a long way on its aesthetic, right? It's that yeah. retro video game. But it's not a terrible game. It's just kind of like, yeah, you kind of yeah. play it a few times, like you, you get through it, and then you kind of move on to other stuff. But I will, as I've not played anything else really, I will use the opportunity to shout out Unearth, which is another game from Brotherwise, which is the publisher of Overboss and Boss Monster, which I think kind of flew under everyone's radars when it came out Three years ago, something like that. Three, four years ago, it's a it's a dice game. It's got it's nothing like Boss Monster. It's not connected. It's not retro video game styled. It's it has a really nice isometric, almost Monument Valley art style to it. But it's a game in which you roll dice and you have multiple different um, like forms of dice, so like a D four, D six, D eight, 
and you are you're spending those dice to build wonders which you generally get it's been a while since i played so apologies if i get the rules slightly wrong but i think if you roll low you get resources you can use to get wonders and if you roll high you can claim i think cards or locations um but it, it was one of those games where when it came out, it was like, oh, okay, it's the it's the boss monster, folks. This will probably be, like, all right. But I found myself really, really liking it at the time. Like, it's not going to blow anyone's mind. It's not the most innovative game in the world. But I think it's just, like, we introduced it to multiple different groups, and it was that perfect level of, you know, interesting enough without being super complex. It's mm. got a nice look to it because you're using different shapes of dice like it's quite nice and tactile when you're just picking between like a d4 and a d6 it's really pretty it's it's a really yeah i feel like it's one of those kind of hidden gems that more people should check out so mm. there you go there's i feel like boss monster uh, sorry over boss is kind of on that level of it's interesting enough it's but it's it's not incredible like it's not gonna blow anyone's mind it's not going to be i don't think it's going to be something i'm going to be talking and raving about like after i've sort of finished playing with it but it is i'd say it's a good game to introduce to to new groups and especially less experienced players um the aesthetic is nice the components are nice hmm. yeah i probably describe it in a similar way in terms of good not going to blow anyone away. Yeah. Well, I think there's absolutely a place for that, right? It's like, yeah. particularly in the age of massive Kickstarter games that cost 100 quid and are a lot of the time relatively mediocre in their own way. Yeah. Like, these games cost, I think, I don't know if it's like 25 quid or something. You know, mm. it's it still looks really nice, but it's not a huge box that's going to eat up your shelf. I and think can... Overboss, was it around 30? I think so. Something I think it's, like that. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's fine. You get a decent amount in it. Hmm. If I have indeed got the retail version, um, yeah, yeah. The, the, com- the components are a nice quality. Right, uh, but yeah, other than other than not playing that uh, for several years, um, I think I mentioned last time I was on the podcast. Uh, our or my friend's game of Monster of the Week has come to an end temporarily. Like we we basically did like a season. We had a particular mystery to solve. We solved that mystery, and we're now taking a break, and we're deciding on our next role-playing game. And at the moment, we're thinking about playing Righteous Blood Ruthless Blades, uh, which is like a wuxia role-playing game, I think from Osprey, which put out those dark places. Like, it's a smallish book, mm. um, but it's, yeah, it's it's as it sounds. It's kind of inspired by the wuxia genre of, like, martial arts films. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of intrigued to dig into it. Um, it seems to have been put together with like a decent amount of care and consideration um, yeah that's always the thing isn't it there, there, there is kind of like a slew of these like southeast asian themed games that are made by white people on kickstarter they're all just for like <laughs> yeah i can't <laughs> no, vouch for it completely at the moment because like i say i've i've largely only had a flick through so far but it seemed like looking at the credits there were multiple consultants listed and i believe the designer mm. is like an expert in the the field kind of thing Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm interested to dig into that. Um, mm. I've also, I was, oh sorry, I will quickly say just an aside, on the subject of uh, Southeast Asian themed RPGs, um, the Zhongxi Blood on a, in the Banquet Hall, the the artist behind that game, 
I just have to call them out because, oh my goodness, they've done such amazing work. Like, it's it's incredible how much art they've actually done. Like, um, I'm trying to remember what's... I wrote a story about... Yes, that's it. Because um, they're doing the art for Gra uh, Grabwell 2nd Edition. Um, please, uh, I apologise if I've murdered this name, but Quan uh, Chai Moira, I think their name is. But they've done, like, Dinosaur Island. They've done Zhongxi. They've done Overlight. Mm. Like, if you go on their page, you will see... It's just astonishing, like, how much amazing artwork and, like, the the difference in, like, design types or, like, types of art. I, I was just amazed when I saw, like, how much, like, they had done and the, and the, the variety. So that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, I think Dinosaur Island is definitely... it. Again, it's a game that I really like, but it is it gets a long way on it. This is Jurassic Park, but kind of, like, 90s neon aesthetic mm. um but it it's you know it's thanks to those visuals that it works um overlight i've heard is okay but again it's it's very striking to look at yeah it just looks very very striking mm. yeah uh but yeah the the only other thing i've been doing is listening to the official soundtrack for bullet um <laughs> which i backed on kickstarter uh, which i think i mentioned a while ago um and it's finally coming out but it's the game from level 99 um games who did, I believe it's level 99. Uh, I think they did like Millennium Blades and stuff like that, but it's inspired by bullet hell shooters. Um, and me and I played quite a bit of it. I think Johnny may have also backed it. Um, mm. And I really like it. I'm excited for that game to turn up. I still think about it quite a lot because it was one of those games that I think did manage to do something really interesting with its theme and managed to feel like the thing it's emulating which is like that very claustrophobic patterns of bullets are coming your way and you have to deal with them by shifting around. Um, mm. But the soundtrack, which I was just listening to today because it popped up in my emails, it's just like a Spotify playlist. It's an original soundtrack. Um, oh, wow. It's really good. It was really good working music. I think it's obviously available for free if you want to go and listen to it, even if you haven't backed it's the game. The coming yeah. or of a thing recently, isn't it? This whole sort of like... Hey, like board games are way better when you listen to like listen to music whilst you're playing with them. Yeah, why don't we just provide some? <laughs> yeah, I think um, as well. Oh, sorry, Ian. No, go ahead. I was going to say just quickly. I think it helps. It's one of those things with Kickstarters as well, where as the budget for what would have been smaller games rise, they're mm. able to get in more art and more kind of contributors that go beyond yeah. just here's the thing in the box. You can then mm. be like, okay, here's like some short fiction here's some soundtrack here's you know other elements that let you kind of immerse yourself into this game that you have potentially invested you know up to 100 pounds or even more in all right shall we move on to news yeah speaking Let's do that. <laughs> oh thanks Phils. um <laughs> speaking of root, great idea matt <laughs> <laughs> speaking of root um which is something we could say almost every week and get away with um, there's the Skaven. new expansion for Root coming up on Skaven. Kickstarter. Huh? Skaven. <laughs> it's called the um, Marauder expansion, I believe. Um, yes. Uh, and it features a rat warlord, which Skaven. is why Wills is not whispering anymore about Skaven. Um, and also Badgers, I think, is the other faction. So it's introducing not these two Skaven. factions. Yeah. Um I believe there might be a new map, but 
those are the kind of uh, major additions. There are four minor factions, um, which I believe are controlled by the game, essentially, um, mm-hmm. and the players can influence slightly, which includes a bear. Uh, yes. And the bear, can it starts as a thief, I believe. Um, so it turns from a thief into a bear. So it's either robbing from you or tearing you apart because it's a bear. Um, but it'll, it'll kind of wander around the map. Um, mm. Hashtag just bear things. Just bear just things, bear yeah. Things. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's also... I'm trying to just scan through this story that Chase uh, wrote. So Cole Worley, the designer, I think also said there's a new kind of two-player set of rules um, to make it play a little bit better with fewer people because generally Root cool. is a game that works best when you've got a full table. Yeah. Because oh. everything balances its uh, each other out. Um, yeah, so there's the Rat Marauder, the Stone Seeking Badgers, uh, new four minor factions, including this bear, uh, and it will it's on Kickstarter as of February twenty third. Um, oh. So yes, I'm. I think they previously suggested this might be the last expansion for Root, but I think they have since hinted that there might be more to come for Root. Um, yeah. But either way, I really like Root. Uh, I'm interested to kind of play around with this. I hope that it comes to the app, because none of the expansions are on the app at the moment, apart yep. from the clockwork <laughs> stuff, which just adds different AI um, and like a, a co-op kind of mode, but I, I would love the other factions to find their way mm. on there. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean... Calling, calling up Direwolf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this, this seems really cool. Root, Root is a very interesting game. I think the fact that they've managed to add so many expansions to it, which I say there's four, but there's you know multiple new factions now because everything is so carefully kind of balanced against each other. It's kind mm. of incredible the the amount they've managed to get out of this and continue to be interesting in terms of making them all unique and asymmetric. Mm. Mm. I would be interested to see how I've not obviously played a game with any of the expansion faction I'd be interested to see how they play off other factions and how balanced that is um, because I think yeah the balance of the game is really the huge the huge reason why it works mm. um, yeah and this sounds fun uh, a warlord rat sounds like a good time let me tell you man it is <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for Skaven uh, yeah I think Cole uh, has said before which is when they were suggesting this might be the last expansion that they basically don't want to overdo it um, mm. so that is the it's kind of it is there's a feeling of we're only going to add it if it really makes sense if it really brings something interesting to it yeah um rather than just we're going to pump this out because this game got popular yeah. mm. which is which is admirable yeah you know, like you no point bloating it yeah i believe the kickstarter as well will have the opportunity to get some of the past expansions um and, and the base game, which I think they're generally available anyway, but uh, if folks are looking to get in on it, this might be an opportunity. Yeah. If I have like a spare 300 quid lying around, <laughs> then maybe I can get the game and all the expansions. Are I we... don't know what the pledge amounts are, by the way, but I'm just imagining. I'm trying to, I think it's. They're 300 pounds each, you're right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think Root is relatively reasonable because it's just meeples, there's no plastic miniatures, anything like that. Yeah. It's, I think maybe the base game's about 50 quid and the expansions mm. are about 30 each, so. Yep. But I, I don't know what they'll be in this Kickstarter, so. Uh, there we go. Uh, moving on, uh, this kind of last week, there is a tabletop RPG on the way based on Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. 
uh, also known as the Better Avatar series. Come at me. Nah, uh, that's the Will's unpopular choice. Sat here. Look, <laughs> I, I've actually watched a bit of Korra and there's a lot of bisexuality, so I stand by that, to be honest. <laughs> it, it also gets much better in the later seasons. It has a little bit of a kind of uh, iffy start. I can't think of a single, like product that was like made for younger audiences but is popular with adults there's like a single one where people don't go oh you have to stick with it for about four seasons and then it gets really good <laughs> there's only three seasons of Korra it, it up towards the end. but I think kind of on on that note um funnily enough like for those who don't know Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra they are Nickelodeon animated shows um mm. set in a world but I think the thing they do um very well is they explore kind of the the trauma and the impact of war, um, particularly Avatar. Uh, it, is, it is a kid's show. Uh, Avatar particularly, you know, they are young kind of heroes um, who can control the elements uh, using powers that are known as bending, so like firebending, earthbending, waterbending, so on. Um, but a lot of that show concerns um, the kind of militaristic fire nation, uh, which is basically going to war with every other nation. Uh, and it handles that stuff really well. Um, and Korra deals with topics like depression and and things like that. And it's they're they're very well handled, um, particularly for for kids shows. So apart from the first season, <laughs> well, yes, that stuff particularly comes into to Korra later on. Um, but this this RPG is coming from Magpie Games, um, who may be familiar to folks who've watched the channel because they made the Root RPG, uh, which we played. All um, roads lead back to root. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> they haven't actually confirmed what the system will be that powers this yet. Um, but I think most of Magpie's games are powered by the apocalypse. Root was right. Yeah. yeah. Um, they also did masks um, and Bluebeard's uh, yeah. Bride. Yeah, they, do all, they also do Bluebeard's Bride. Okay, yeah. right. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't know Don't if worry. I was getting that wrong yeah. as I said it. Yeah, the co-founder created do, it. I hope they do sort of pick something a little bit more original because i think there's some really interesting mechanical things you can do with the setting of cora mm. and i don't know if just sort of like another power by the apocalypse game is is uh quite as exciting as that might be yeah but, it, and yeah. as someone who's a fan of that stuff i'm i'm really intrigued how unique firebending earthbending waterbending uh airbending feel mm. um because in the show they they're represented by different forms of martial art um and they have kind of different uh, places in the world. So, like, water often represents kind of healing. Um, fire is obviously quite offensive. Um, you know, uh, earthbending tends to span off into other things. But they, in the show, they use them in really interesting ways and go a lot further than just, I can throw a rock at you and you can throw a fireball mm. back. So I think that will be kind of key. But the fact that they are, you know, they that root RPG I thought was pretty good. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you, Wills. I don't know if Powered by the Apocalypse, if it's just a bunch of moves. Yeah, because the the interesting thing about um, the sort of from what I saw from the Korra uh, seasons that I watched, like the the bending isn't just a fighting thing; like mm. it is sort of like a part of the society as well. Like you have like um, I don't know if this is spoiler territory, but like you know electricity sort of bending as a sort of thing. So they use it for like power systems and that kind of stuff <laughs> in, in Korra, like. But yeah, I've, I've, they've been yeah. out long enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, they're not major. You introduced to it in like the first episode of Korra, so yeah, <laughs> it's fine. 
I, I've I've just sat here on my rock, just going, "This is nice." <laughs> <laughs> I, I I've watched about three episodes of Avatar. Well, and I thought it was all right. So, <laughs> Avatar took me a bit longer to get going with. It's it's much more kind of kiddie focused. Um, like Gora's that little bit more mature. But if you want to watch the shows, you've got a little while. Um, because the tabletop RPG will be coming out in February 2022, so a whole year from now. Um, they've also so that will be the kind of core book, um, and it will be followed by t- at least two supplements um, based on Republic City um, and the Spirit World, which are, as they sound, kind of the main capital um, and the Spirit World, uh, yeah, which will you know. follow in August 2022 and February 2023. Uh, so it's already a year's worth of content uh, kind of coming on the way. Um, and that's kind of what we know at the moment. Like I say, it's it's specifically described as being both Avatar and Korra. So it sounds like it's not just going to be... It sounds like they're approaching the the world as a whole rather than just, hey, you can just they're be Aang again. They're kind of different time periods, aren't they? Not super far apart. Yeah, Korra is essentially like two generations after yeah. Avatar. But a, a lot has changed. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, things yeah, changed. They, they were quick. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I think a lot of people, there are several fan-made RPGs. Um, mm-hmm. Because like I say, the, the bending stuff lends itself very well to <laughs> essentially classes. Mm. Um, so there have been a lot of fan-made attempts. Um, I've read through some of them, and they're really impressive. Um, you know, they they do a good job of it. So hopefully, you know, as, as with the root RPG, that felt like it wasn't just a quick cash in. Um, that it was handled quite well. So yeah, so like the root RPG from what we saw had some really interesting mechanical stuff that they tacked on top of Powered by the Apocalypse. So I don't think they. It seems like they wouldn't just do here's Powered by the Apocalypse, but we shoved the theme on top mm. like hopefully they've got some interesting things like you know like the root rpg like asks you to use the board game for certain things and stuff which is quite cool um so hopefully they do that what i'm just happy is it's not a D fifth edition yeah app, because yeah. that <laughs> also it's being it's about made as boring by, as it gets it's being made by, by magpie who do interesting things you know mm-hmm. i just don't i don't they don't come across to me as a publisher who will just like you know fling whatever out to to cash in so mm-hmm. prove me right mm-hmm. uh let's continue this role playing game train uh, <laughs> <laughs> with uh another kickstarter campaign shock surprise uh for the one ring uh which uh answers on the postcard is about lord of the rings oh it's the it's the lord of the rings role playing game um this is the second edition uh, so the first edition came out like a decade ago i think at this point um from cubicle seven and a second edition was in the works for quite a long time then was cancelled uh like literally months from release Uh, it was meant to come out i think last year or the year before uh, and they basically said the licensing deal they had with the the company that owns the rights to all of tolkien's works fell apart um so the whole thing was scrapped like three, four months before it was due to release finally after years of work, uh, which was pretty devastating, um, both, both for the company and for the people waiting on it. Um, it was then picked up by Free League Publishing, um, best known for kind of Tales from the Loop, uh, the Alien RPG, um, 
all sorts of stuff. They're they're quite prolific. Like free league, free league, good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this is this is the second edition. It is hitting Kickstarter. I think actually by the time people listen to this, it will be on Kickstarter because uh, it goes live on the eleventh, um, which as you listen to this was yesterday. Um, so yeah, free league have been. We spoke to them last year about it, and they kind of said that they they were taking elements of Cubicle Seven's game um, and including them. You know, it's it's not been completely rebuilt from the ground up, but it is still, you know, a significantly new addition. Uh, they're working with one of the original designers. Um, the, in terms of the setting, I think it moves forward a little bit. So it's kind of uh, set, I believe, somewhere between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, but a slightly different setting than before. Um, some of the early stuff will focus on The Shire, which I don't think was completely fleshed out in the previous edition. Uh, there'll be stuff on Eriador. Um, and there will be, I believe, a starter set that features the Fellowship. So the timeline, as I say that, is probably very close to Lord of the Rings. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what it is. It's a Lord of the Rings RPG. I think the One Ring, the first edition, was quite well loved. Um, like I say, people were pretty gutted to see it uh, cancelled. Uh, they Free League have also confirmed that uh, the Long Dark, which was a adventure that was also in the works for a very long time at Cubicle Seven, set in Moria, um, that will also be finding its way into this new edition because that was originally meant to come out for first edition, then it was delayed to come out with second edition, then it was cancelled cancelled when everything went down the tubes, and now it's it will come back at some point, but. It's been a long journey to get here, mm. but hopefully this this means it should finally see the light of day, both the the second edition and the Long Dark. Nice, good. <laughs> it's the insightful commentary you listen to the Dicebreaker podcast for. Yeah, I mean, it's not that, much I'll to say honest. on it, is it? This yeah, is there was, the there was a RPG. lot of information as well. Sorry, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, like I say, it's it's quite a messy one because there are multiple companies at this point, and it's passed through several hands, but. Yeah. Free, freely we played alien like again they yeah they yeah. seem like a company that isn't just in it for the quick buck yeah um i mean it sounds like something that johnny would probably quite like to dm for yeah a dungeon breaker season rave just saying or even yourself just saying i have a copy just of the... saying <laughs> just saying i have a copy of the first edition actually and i've not played loads of it but this makes me want to dig back into it before this mm. comes out and and see what i think yeah like I like the films, but I'm not someone who's hugely into the world of of Lord of the Rings. It's not like a fantasy world that I'm really into because it's eh. It's generic it's fantasy, fine. right? I think that's part yeah. of the. Like, that, I mean, once the... you go past those characters, what do you have? It's like you have the the genesis of a lot of modern fantasy. So mm. yeah, it's it's not something. I'm sure fans of the the, the world of, of Tolkien's books and, and the, the films, you know, this is great, but it's not really a world that I'm hugely interested in, in exploring, so it's not like an RPG that I'm really excited for. Like, hmm. I, So I used to work on Total Warhammer um, as like a video producer, and like a comment we would always get, because people would always be like, make this game in the comments as if that's how it works. Um, but they would, like, one of the ones that we'd always get is like, make a Lord of the Rings Total War. It's like, that just sounds like Battle for Middle Earth. 
Yeah, it's, fine. it's basically just the Warhammer one in a different setting. Like, it's not going to be very different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that wasn't my decision to make, so... <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, Alex Meehan. Oh, Rosie! Sorry, Rosie just did a little meow. It was really cute. She's an absolute scream. She thinks she's confused by all the snow outside, to be honest. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, she's just going to meow on your bed. <laughs> I can't. I can't follow up. A cat being That's cats. adorable. <laughs> uh, Alex, man, tell us the latest with the Dungeons and Dragons film. Film. Oh, oh, Mr. Jarvis. <laughs> I feel like I've been following this story ever since I was born. Speaking of things <laughs> that have just been kicking around for years. Yeah. Uh, for those who may not know, there is another Dungeons and Dragons film coming out. Uh, why? Why? Uh, you know, add to perfection. <laughs> the original film was fine. No, it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, this film that's reportedly coming out, um, very specific date of May 27th, 2022. At 4.27pm. <laughs> At 4.27pm. Um, uh, so, uh, last year, late last year, they announced that Chris Pine was uh, joining the production in the lead role. Um, but joining him are Michelle Rodriguez and Justice Smith. Um, so uh, Rodriguez is known for her roles in the Fast and Furious franchise of films. This was a difficult headline for me to read. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons film star, Fast and Furious star. Detective Pikachu Stark. <laughs> hey, hey D and D. I'm just doing my job. Um, yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, um, Justice Smith is known for for his role in the Detective Pikachu film, as well as apparently the upcoming Jurassic World sequel, Dominion. I didn't know they were making another one. I think I wiped my memory. Film as well. <laughs> oh, whoa! Can you imagine that? It'd be no, very bland be and boring. Dull. <laughs> I'd like uh. it. <laughs> no, the the theme of Dominion is really boring. Um, mm. uh, yeah. Um, so the details are around like what roles they're actually going to play uh, are non-existent at this point. Uh, or at least we don't know about them. Um, same with Chris Pine. Um, but this film has been through a rocky sort of production period at this point. Just lots of legal battles around the rights of the film. Line coming in now as well. I hope so. <laughs> Can you imagine though? Actually, <laughs> I want to see him as like a mage or like a at this point, like a sorcerer as, like, type, a crag of rock. You gotta curse the firebolt. <laughs> Adrian! <laughs> Sorry, that was one of the worst impressions I've ever done. Carry on. Yeah. He's just sat in his tower, just, I don't know, reading, maybe. He's a wizard. Uh, hire me to write the film. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's been directed by the people behind Game Night, which was alright. Hmm. Um, it's like a comedy with Rachel McAdams in it. Um, and produced by uh, uh, Jeremy Lack- Lackham? Lackham? 
who's worked on several Marvel films. So they've got big names behind it. Uh, other than that, who knows what it's going to be called, what people are going to do in it. We've had a few ideas. Um, so maybe they're listening to those. Mm, I, I feel, hope so. Yeah, like we've, like you say, we've discussed this a few times. I feel it's it's what, now about a year away? We must... We must see something soon. It might. Right? It might just be in production hell. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it might never come out. I mean, the fact that they're making announcements about it to me suggests that they're still on the path of doing it. It's just like it sounds like they're making it at the moment or trying to. And in t- today's climate, uh, it's a little difficult to film things. Um, well, if it's all just CGI, it just, just... <laughs> whoa, yeah, just see. <gasps> Can you imagine CGI uh, Sylvester Stallone? I mean, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> imagine it like Sylvester Stallone, but in CGI. <laughs> they do it like they did Robert De Niro in The Irishman, just yeah. turning into a fifteen-year-old D and D player, <laughs> <laughs> but with the same gravelly voice. My oh. favorite bit of that film is like. Can tell these people are incredibly old and they try to make them look younger and like it's they're doing what they can there's the bit where where he has to like hit someone on the side of a street with his foot and he looks like he's like struggling to to stomp a can but they're making noises and he's like broken his arm <laughs> i don't know why they didn't just put baseball caps on backwards on them. <laughs> that's it that's what you need yeah, that's what you need to make CGI them look longer but i don't know why you have to use cgi stuff it's a lot cheaper to get I mean, a few honestly. baseball caps. Seriously, hire me. I've got some great <laughs> ideas. <laughs> I'll make your film one way or another. Um, yeah, the, that's the, the hot news. The hot celeb news. Mm-hmm. Matt Jarvis. Because um, that's what the listeners are here for. Well, you know, the D&D film, I think, it will either do... I'm sure it will do very well either way. Uh, but I think it's really whether it just turns out to be a massive critical stinker again right yeah massive uh, pa- pardon my language uh poo <gasps> <laughs> yeah uh i would to be honest i if it is poo i'd rather it be like an interesting and, and vaguely entertaining one than one that's just like really boring and very by the numbers and yeah like like detective pikachu that film was okay. Hmm. The which ending for, was for a video a, game film. Yeah, is instantly yeah, puts is it into the, level, the top. But but the ending was so bad, uh, and that's all I remember about it now. Just that amazing, incredible ending. So I want it to be either really good or like a total trash fire all the way through. Mm. I mean, once again, this could all be saved by just giving Danny DeVito a lead role. Like I don't. Yes. <laughs> Detective Pikachu could have been an instant classic. Yeah, that's what D and D stands for. Danny yeah. DeVito. Danny and DeVito. <laughs> yeah, Danny and DeVito. Yeah. That's... Oh no! I really want Danny DeVito to be in the film, and he won't be. Even if he was in the film, they'd probably make him like a troll or something, or like a... like some weirdo who lives in a hole somewhere. In when we get the movie rights uh, sold for uh, Dungeon Breaker, yeah, we can cast Danny DeVito as Tim the Goblin. Yes! <laughs> He's the perfect mixture of cuteness 
and also <laughs> and disgustingness. Yeah, and yeah. disgustingness. <laughs> so, apologies to Danny DeVito. I feel like. <laughs> Well, no, he's a character actor, you know, and the yeah. characters that he's very good at playing are, are greasy ones. <laughs> oh. oh gosh! Oh, right, right, enough on enough on dunking on Danny DeVito. <laughs> let's let's move How on. Day. to Danny beloved DeVito actor. Okay. Danny he is a national treasure. <laughs> he's also a great director. Matilda is a fantastic film. It yeah. is a great film, yeah. uh, and he's very good in it. Uh, Alex Meehan, tell us about this new Grizzled game. Oh uh, yeah, talking of <laughs> talking of grizzled. <laughs> Sorry, that is the adjective I would use to describe Danny DeVito. Yeah. Carry on. And Sylvester Stallone, to be honest. Anyway, That's the grizzled is the adjective that. Sylvester Slow wants to be described as. I don't know if it's the one that I would give him. <laughs> right. And come on, let's straighten up here. Um yeah, the the Grizzled is a series of board games um released by Simon. <laughs> it makes it so much worse when you, you pause for the impact. You need to like. You've just got to go your, straight uh, through. Simon. Uh, this is why I can't call them anything but come on because. <laughs> I did, and then you said it was. You said it was Simon. I've never said that. I think that's what they call themselves. Maybe it is. I think it is officially pronounced Simon. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, is, come on. Which, which I like to think is the sequel to Seaman, which mm-hmm. which is a dreamcast <laughs> video game. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, uh, there's a new entry in the Grizzled series. Whoever put together the the marketing like phrase Leonard Nimoy Seaman. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm really trying. <laughs> uh, yeah. This just reminds me of. Um... <laughs> Do you remember that Susan Boyle thing? Oh, Where no. she had Where a new album out and they put a hashtag out that was Susan Album Party. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> thought to look at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I really didn't think Susan Boyle would come up. <laughs> in this I didn't think Leonard Nimoy would come into it. I don't... Oh, man. Oh, um, right. you know, Le- Leonard is... He's a he's a good person. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're getting all our opinions on celebs here. Um, oh gosh. Yeah, th- this game is called The Grizzled. We care. Um, which yeah, not a great title, I will say. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, not a fan. Um, it's it's um, so the original The Grizzled was set during World War One. And it's kind of like a it's a co-op game where you have to kind of survive the the bleakness of trench warfare together as a group. Um, so you have cards you need to play, and those cards are various kind of threats as well as negative personal traits you might develop. Uh, you kind of have to survive the impact of those while making sure you don't play too many of the same type. Uh, and I get through the deck together in order to win the game. So uh, it's not confirmed whether this 
this we care has the same kind of mechanics but i imagine as part of the series they probably would um looking at the picture it seems very similar in a way mm. that's that feels a bit like did you just go hmm Tashin? because might... the theme for this game yeah. <laughs> is a very current let's say Quote unquote inspired by current events yeah uh, you have to work together as a team of medical professionals uh, to help ward off dire medical threats uh, uh, in an overburdened hospital. Kind of, yeah, gets real close to the mark there. Um, uh, there it, it, it will be said that for every copy of We Care that is sold, uh, Simon will... <laughs> <laughs> will donate money to the Doctors Without Borders organization, uh, which is an international charity that helps deal with uh, medical crisis. Crises? Hmm. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Multiple there crises. There you go. Crises. Yeah. yeah. Have, um, have you played the Grizzled? No, I do want to, though. Um, weirdly, I saw it for the first time when I. I went on a business trip to Paradox Con. I don't know why, but they had they had one table out for it. I was like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it looked quite good. Mm, I like the art style for it. Mm. It's, yeah, it's really pretty. Yeah, so I think, so the original artist, I think, was one of the, um, I hope I'm getting this right, um, one of the people uh, sadly killed in the Charlie Hebdo attacks. Um, so they, I think they released the original Grizzled and then an expansion at your orders. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then released like an anniversary edition, I think, with miniatures and kind of said that that would be it for the game because it was so um, closely tied to the artwork. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really good game. Like it, it gets a lot out of very simple mechanics. Like it is, um, it is tough. Um, it's not super thematic, but I think it, it fits the World War One theme very well because... It is punishing, and you can't communicate, um, so you kind of have to rely on each other, which, for me, makes this feel a little bit like even slightly kind of off the mark a bit because there it felt like they handled that uh, very well, um, and this it's hard not to look at this and feel like now's maybe not the time. To do something like this, yeah, I, I feel like that's exactly why the whole donation thing is there. Like they, I will say the press release that that I saw was leaning incredibly heavily on, on hey, we're doing this to raise awareness for current events, yeah. and we're donating money for every copy sold. And I kind of like one, you could have done this with its own series. You didn't have to do it with the Grizzled because it doesn't really feel like it works one because you know the i feel like the grizzled is again having not played it having looked into it it feels like it's its own very much its own thing and also considering the artist is no longer with us like bringing this back just to kind of link it into what's happening right now um we're not going to assume anything like but it is hard not to feel a little bit cynical about mm. the timing and, again, the leaning on the, hey, we're raising awareness. And I'm kind of like, I think a lot of people are aware of 
yeah what's going on at the moment and i think a lot of it's just like the you know healthcare professionals and what what they're you know what they're doing at the moment in terms of providing support and the amazing work they're doing and and what they're going through and everything and i think yeah i mean it's admirable but it's also like yeah, I think there's a way for, you know, board games can approach these difficult subjects, like they can explore them. There are a lot of games yeah. that do that really well, but I think you're right in the putting out, you know, m- maybe they feel like the mechanics really do, you know, they were the best choice, like it really does reflect it. But like you say, it's it's hard not to look at this and be like, there's timing and like maybe you could have looked at building something from the ground up that feels you know, quite even more appropriate to that situation. And the fact that it is so kind of bullface in how much it it's like, oh yeah, you're on the front line, you're dealing with this medical emergency. You know, you can set games in hospitals or have them be about medical professionals without necessarily having to reflect the exact mm. um, circumstances of right now. Like, yeah. like Dice Hospital, I think, is like a really good game set in a hospital that doesn't, you know, that that feels like it's it's faithful um, to the people that work in those careers um, without feeling exploitative, I suppose. Or mm, Yeah. There's also like, because, I mean, like you said, Mia, like it's the whole sort of raising awareness thing seems a bit po-faced when it's, you know, it's we're all being affected by it yeah i think i think it's a it's a sense of they specifically want to raise awareness to health what health professionals are doing and what they're Mm. going through at the moment which they do they do mention that some of the mechanics in the game are you're dealing with the stress of of you know of working in this kind of during these medical crises and they even mention like there's a chance that as characters you could get the diseases yourself which obviously all very real things that that can happen in hospitals but i feel like the timing especially on this is just not appropriate like yeah like with the for example with world war one uh spoiler alert that happened a long time ago (laughs) well so yeah so what i was gonna say Uh, was like there's there's been plenty of medical emergencies like this in the past which yeah you can and you know there are there are still things that that people around the world are still being affected by like there was you know like for example the aids crisis like it was there there are a lot of like breakouts of quite deadly diseases where a lot of people did have to go through some pretty traumatic amounts of work to yeah to you know get people and society back on track so that seems like a thing that you could potentially raise awareness yeah. about because it's something that might have slipped away from the knowledge of of the greater public and it is also a like a historical theme that fits yeah. like the the shoe of the grizzled so it yeah just it, it seems it like there were there were steps that were taken that could maybe just mm. just shifted to the left or the right a bit to make this a little bit less odd I f- they could have even like just done an expansion for the original but including like medics mm. like like yeah. wartime medics budget, yeah. or something like that i just i feel like this again not making assumptions uh, but i feel like this is calculated and it's like yeah i think you're you're right in that there are ways to recognize the work that medical professionals do every year but particularly this year without having to almost um be so upfront about like oh it's hap- it's right now you should buy the 
you know, yeah, like they you don't say, mention like COVID, for example. Mm. They just mention medical emergencies. Yeah, it's or, also or crises, and it's like they cynically just calling it We Care as well is yeah. like a really it just what is a bit a bad name of like too. Yeah, it's a bit like a Facebook alert. Isn't it? It's not like, <laughs> yeah. like, it's I, like I, I think it's, it's like thoughts and press. It's, it's, that, yeah, it's it the is. emoticon that. Facebook added that's like a little we, yeah we've added a hope yeah, care emoji. yeah like, but it, it's it is just like if you know to to say hey we're making donations good yeah. like I'm glad you are but if you're still profiting off it it's not raising awareness it's making a business decision so like, I, I think at some point you have to be a bit more like responsible with the wording around it as well because this is not like a charity board game this yeah. is a game that they will make money off which will also yeah they don't charity in a way you know like those that's an important distinction mm, they haven't confirmed how much they'll be donating either for every copy so mm. like presumably they're gonna make some profit from mm. this so it doesn't it doesn't sit that comfortably with me um but yeah i mean again like for, i'm sure that i'm like... sure the intention there are good intentions involved. I'm yeah, sure. and it might be that, that when it comes out, it is actually handled very well, and you mm-hmm. know we're we're taking it at face value. We're we're only going by what they've put out so far. Yeah. But yeah, the the impression so far is just kind of like it. Yeah, it feels it feels off. Um, let's let's move on uh, because there's actually quite a lot of news this week, uh, and we are swiftly running out of time. Uh, very quick we really one. Are, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, a very quick one here. Um, Hasbro put out one of its earnings calls. Um, and it said that Magic the Gathering and Monopoly had their biggest year ever uh, in 2020. Um, this kind of follows a story we ran a couple of weeks back um, from an analyst, Euro, Euro Monitor International, uh, which said that basically board games have boomed during lockdown, um, which mm. I don't think will come as much of a surprise to anyone. Um, Euro Monitor at the time particularly said that folks were going back to games they're familiar with, so things like Monopoly. Um, and in this Hasbro earnings call, they also mentioned Jenga, Connect 4, and Operation as enjoying, quote, stellar years. <laughs> uh, D&D, uh, which Hasbro owns via Wizards of the Coast, uh, as with Magic the Gathering, also did well. Um, so, yeah, it's it, that's, that's basically the long and short of it, is just kind of confirmation of what I think uh, some folks may have suspected already, is that... Uh, while a lot of people are at home, um, uh, in a lot of cases with families or partners or or whatever it may be, um, you know, quite a lot of people are finding time for board games or turning to board games. Um, so, yes, um, this this follows. By the way, uh, we reported uh, last year, I guess it must have been that twenty nineteen was the biggest year for D and D in its entire fifty year history. Um, so I don't think they specifically say that D&D had its best year ever, but it also just highlights that basically like, tabletop games continue to grow and grow and grow. Like More people are getting into them, whether it's through picking up D&D through Stranger Things or just like getting into party games and then finding kind of more hobby kind of style board games through that. Um, but it's we don't often get this kind of reflection... Uh, in the tabletop industry compared to industries like video games where companies often put out kind of reports about how they're doing a lot more um, mm. regularly. Um, but yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised that Hasbro is really big and making a lot of money. 
um but i think it is especially interesting the the games that are kind of doing very well tend to be those classics that you might suspect everybody owns monopoly at this point but it continues to thrive clearly Mm. Mm. yeah i don't know i just feel like those kind of games are the ones that people buy because they're like oh we're stuck inside let's do something and then they'll play it maybe like twice and then they'll be like well that was fun and then they'll go and rot in the in the cupboard where they belong (laughs) (laughs) well um yeah, no, uh, it's good to know that tabletop games are doing well, because that means yeah. I get my job. <laughs> yes, that's good news for us specifically. <laughs> um, in summary, board games good, more people playing board games good, corporate monopolies bad. bad. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, finally on the news list, another kind of slightly fun one uh, that Chase reported. Someone created a mod for Wingspan, uh, Elizabeth Hargrave's board game about birds, uh, and changed all the birds to Pokemon. Um, so this is on Tabletop Simulator, so it is a mod, um, it is obviously not official, it's not from Stonemaier Games, uh, which published this Wingspan, um, but they swapped everything out, it's called Pokemon Nursery, um, which is quite sweet, and it follows a similar kind of thing in that you're still laying eggs, which I guess is slightly odd for some of the Pokemon, uh, no, I haven't all seen po- all the cards. All Pokemon all lay Pokemon's eggs. All Pokemon uh, lay eggs. Are they all egg laying? Yeah. yeah, they all lay eggs. All Just they all have Pikachu blankets. squeezing out an egg. <laughs> oh god you had to go there uh, um, I but... will ask are like some of the Pokemon specifically birds because there are plenty of bird Pokemon in fact oh, I can see Moltres yeah there's Moltres I guess Moltres is a bird it's like a yeah. legendary it's, Pokemon it's a Phoenix. flaming chicken <laughs> it's two very different things um, it's a KFC <laughs> So this is from a user on Reddit posted this, um, Lockwing Hall. Uh, Lockwing Hong, sorry. I was trying to say horn at the end there. Um, so yeah, they, they completely rethemed it. Uh, I think that the gameplay is the same. Uh, so the only major change to the gameplay is that instead of comparing wingspan um, of the birds, you now use the Pokemon elemental types. Um, so fire, lightning, water, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one of the interesting things about this is that uh, Stonemaier kind of gave it their blessing. Um, so obviously, tabletop simulator mods, not all of them are official creations. Mm. Uh, many of them are not. Um, there are a number of Pokemon-themed mods of other board games that do not exist in real life. Um, but this was created, and then Stonemaier um, basically reached out. Um, oh, sorry, no, um, Lock Lockwing we reached out to Stonemaier um, to ask for permission to put it up and they said yes um, so you can go and play it for free uh, and know that the publisher's kind of okay with that yeah um, it seems right. it seems a really well considered mod I mean like I say it's, mm. it's not changing the gameplay it's mainly visual uh, it's the first 151 Pokemon um, mm. but it fits well so who knows maybe at some yeah. point yeah, I, I can't wait for Nintendo to do a class action lawsuit on oh, Tabletop yeah. Simulator. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're going to do that. Uh, I'm just enjoying looking at this picture of Slowpoke. <laughs> Slowpoke All right. is... Yeah, Slowpoke is just living life to the... To, you know, he does it like he's at a sleepover. Mm. Which, I mean, this isn't... I mean, this is an audio podcast, so that's not very helpful. But... <laughs> that's that's Slowpoke's kind, of, uh, kind of vibe, though, right? 
Yeah, Slowpoke is chill. Slowbro yeah. is not. Uh, yeah. Slowbro is, has had its... Bro in anything. Around. Yeah. yeah. Slowbro's got the big old shell on its tail. And the yeah, shell you'd, is be, very you'd be concerned if your tail had been bitten by a parasitic shell as well, wouldn't you, Matt Jarvis? I, I suppose. Well, they say that the, uh, the shell is actually a, a metaphor for toxic masculinity. And the, uh, the weight of the shell brings down the slow bro. The bro, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Wingspan's really good. Uh, there's obviously the official app, which I think is a really good app. Um, we played it on the mm. channel a little while ago. Um, but if you're looking to just try out this game, this seems like a good way to give it a go before you maybe get the app or the, the actual thing. Yeah. And then the game will teach you about actually like real life creatures. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, that's the point. Exist. So I think yeah, this they, does have information in. from the. <laughs> I love Pokemon. I'm just doing a joke. I think the the Pokemon cards do have information from the Pokedex on them. So, oh, but it's not really read not out in a very it's, calming it's, it's voice. It's really lovingly made. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah the, the design's really nice as well. Like a lot of effort's been put into it. Clearly, yeah, it's really pretty. Uh, that's it for news this week. Uh, let's move swiftly on to emails. Uh, if you've got an email for the Dicebreaker email. podcast, you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com. I was so shocked uh, by Mian's exclamation of email that I forgot our own email address. But it is podcast at dicebreaker.com. Of course you can, Wills. Hello, Dicebreaker team. I'm Michael Page. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of podcasts ago Johnny was talking about his backlog of Doomtown Reloaded expansions and this got me thinking I'm a fan of a couple of LCGs such as the Marvel Legendary game but struggle keeping up with the expansions often they include characters or new playstyles that entice me in and there's a certain fear of missing out and knowing that often when these expansions sell out you have to wait a long time for any reprints have any of you experienced this before? Is there a game where you've been awash in a backlog, backlog sorry, of expansions or have been lucky enough to break free from this? Thank you, Michael Page. Thank you, Michael Page. <laughs> Master Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> and apologies. Um, I I tend not to be that fussed by expansions for games um, on the most yeah. part. I think generally if I like a game, I'm quite happy with the game that comes in the box. The exception to this is Mansions of Madness, um, mm. which I have... My wife and I have made kind of an annual habit, although they didn't put one out last year, of getting each new expansion as it comes out, because they normally come out in November, December time, and then we play it over the Christmas holidays. But that's that tends to be because those add new scenarios. It's a very kind of story-driven game, so there's kind of like a, a reason to pick them up, um, because if you keep playing the same stories, it can you can kind of just yeah. wear out on them but for most games i think it, if there's not a strong kind of narrative thing like that like the core experience should be enough to to tide you over i did i was tempted for the arkham horror card game but a lot of the living card game stuff is it's just a lot to keep up with it's kind of like magic mm. in that you have to be dedicated to that game and partly because of this job and partly because of who i am it's not that's yeah, not for me i i've never really been a big expansion buyer like even in video games like i don't really play much dlc mm. like I, I i think usually i'm just like cool that's the game and i like the game and I, I don't think i've really been much of a person that gets enticed by by expansions all that much i'm trying to think of one that i've got at least one or possibly more expansions for and i'm struggling <laughs> mm. I, i've got an expansion for inish um mm. but i still haven't used it because <laughs> it's just sort of like yeah I feel like a lot of the time when I play games, I'm kind of introducing them to people. So expansion seems like a 
like expansions feel like more for games that you play over and over again mm. with a certain group of people and a lot of the time i, I tend to be in, introducing new people to games so i think that probably might be why but yeah i can i can see why you would be like especially if you if you have something that you really love and you play a lot and you get that sort of collective vibe like i i have a million different miniatures that i haven't painted i can tell you that and i still still keep getting them you know so yeah i can see where that comes from hmm. i think with so obviously johnny was talking about doomtown which is a which is that's sort of like more of a collectible card game isn't it like i think it's a living i think it was originally a collectible card game and then when they re-released it it was a living card game yeah i right. think what i'm saying is doomtown is competitive like oh sure play yeah. against someone um which means that like keeping up with it is important to staying in the meta uh being that like if you don't have some of the expansions particularly the newer ones it might feel like you're not you know capable or prepared of you know being able to play against other people who might be more up to date with with releases when it comes to something like arkham horror the the card game i think it's less of an issue because that's a card game so it just really depends on what kind of character decks you want to get and what kind of scenarios or locations you want to play through um i don't play any living card games on the regular like i've dipped my toe into some including arkham horror um it's i think it's something for me again because like matt said because of my job like you know, I spend a certain amount of time playing tabletop games. I can't really dedicate a huge amount of my time to something like Arkham Horror, which requires you to kind of really keep up with it. Also, money uh, is an issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, in terms of expansions, uh, like Wills and, and Matt, I'm not hugely into them. I won't just get them because I have the base game and I'm i want to collect i know some people get them just to to collect you know all, all the bits um uh, i will say it just really just depends on the expansion themselves like some are really great like the um widow's walk expansion for betrayal i think is excellent and it just like enhances the game so much um whereas like others just bring like little nice bits to it i really want to play root with some of the expansion Again, that's a game I, I play quite a bit, so I kind of feel like maybe it's worth investing in something like that or experiencing it in a different way. I think those kind of games are the ones that I would really be drawn to in terms of getting the expansions, and if I knew, if I had an idea if the expansions were worth it. Yeah, there you go. Cool. All right, uh, let's move on to this next one uh, from Shah. Uh, Alex Moon, would you like to read this one? Uh, yes, I will read this one. Um, Shah Quite says... <laughs> Shah is also Michael Caine. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can't do that voice, so I'm not even going to try. Uh, hi, Dicebrick team. I have a question for you around world building and inspiration for it. I have been homebrewing my current D&D campaign, which I love doing, and it's meant that I felt less constrained by planning. My question is... Where do you gather your inspiration for world building from? Uh, different fantasy novels or pop culture? Have you done deep dives into history? Or, or things like Nordic or Greek mythology? Where do you think the best expansion for world building and homebrew quests can be found? Thanks, Ashar. 
Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know if I... Because the thing is with world building is I tend to do it sort of um, per adventure rather than like I'm going to make an entire world and then we're going to do lots of adventures in it sort of thing, which I think is more what Shard's talking about here. Um, I don't know if either of you have done something similar? I'm kind of similar to you in that um, I think just because of the nature of the RPGs that I play, like a lot of the time it's in an existing universe. So some of it's set out by that. Um, And like we'll kind of carve out our own space for it, but the general kind of strokes, you know, we're not creating a a world from scratch. We're just kind of creating places in it. But yeah, I think it's, it's that thing of I will pull from you know, things I've watched or things I've read, but they will tend to be I like singular ideas for characters or story beats. Um, and they'll all kind of get blended together rather than draw like rather than be like, okay, this I want this whole thing to be Norse inspired or Greek mythology inspired. Because like a lot of the time the RPG kind of defines that. So it's like if you're yeah. playing uh, Aegon, it's like, well, we're in Greek mythology, so I might draw some some ideas you know some ideas for my character from things that i know about this but most of that work's done for me so from there it's just kind of reacting to what the players say and letting that kind of build out the world depending on what they seem interested in mm. i will say that um like world building is really hard like especially like in-depth world building like there's a reason that so many games are just really generic boring fantasy landscapes because it's like yeah like <clears throat> it's difficult to create something that's really original um, so sometimes you might just want to have something that is quite genre like if it is fantasy or cyberpunk or whatever it is that you're doing um, and just having that world sort of like exist in that sort of similar vibe to what people are usually used to but then having certain elements or certain places or certain like bits of culture that are uniquely yours and are, are like are quite a bit more interesting than you'd usually find because oftentimes um you know, if you if you make something that's completely different, then like there's a lot of explaining to the um, the players as well, of, like how this world works and, and what it is, and and like you have a lot of questions that you need to be ready to answer. I think. Whereas if you've got something that they basically know how it works, but then there's just little elements where you're like, oh, that's interesting, that's cool. You know, just just sort of like adding a bit of fusion to it, like you know, like almost like um, Shadowrun is that kind of blend of cyberpunk and fantasy. It's like maybe you can pick something that you don't normally see in this kind of setting that you're using and, and try and think about how would it feel if if this was an element of the society, you know, like something that most people wouldn't necessarily be familiar with. Mm. I think for me, I mean, I don't, I don't do, like, I don't design campaigns from scratch. I don't do a lot of campaign stuff in general because um, I find that it's a huge amount of pressure Um particularly as the 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 GM um I have done quite a few one-shot things and for example when I was doing I did some one-shots for Dread which doesn't it says you know do horror but it doesn't give you like this is the setting this is the world like there are some I think free uh sort of story ideas you can find for the game um but i kind of ran with my own uh ideas and because these are one shots they're much more manageable because you know uh, you're like okay this is the set location this is what's going to happen and 
you know it doesn't need to be an enormous universe that you've made from scratch anyway no one really makes anything from scratch like everything is mm. inspired by something else nothing is really truly original um which is an important thing to consider uh but the ones i did were just inspired by things i was into at the time so like uh i was really into uh the video game system shop and system shop 2 so i made like a a dread campaign on a space station where people were doing like hacking and there was an evil ai and stuff like that so i just kind of like used it as an outlet to express my kind of this is what i'm into at the moment this is what i i want you know to kind of share with other people um now a lot of the time i just do a character creation so i make characters that are, are kind of inspired by ones that i really like from you know books i've read or or you know films i've watched or whatever um because i've not you know sometimes it's hard to find times to design like campaigns and, and one shots and everything so in terms of where to find inspiration just you're probably you probably love stories because you you engage with a lot of them like think about what you you like at the moment like what have you been reading what have you been watching like and just tap into that that's kind of what i do um i often use role playing as like a method of of further engaging with things that i like or like doing like twists on things that i enjoy so there you go mm-hmm. that's good advice uh that is all we have time for this week mm. but before we leave you wills what's coming up on youtube.com slash dicebreaker well matt um by the time that this video has uh, gone out or this podcast rather um you will have seen on the channel uh, uh you've never played santorini which we mentioned during the uh, the start of the podcast um we also just did a painting stream where i'm going to be carrying on with this boy if you're watching the video version because i need to finish him still up. so um, big it's such a big, big chongus um but tomorrow if you're watching this when it comes out we will have the fourth episode of our soulbound <gasps> campaign warhammer age of sigma soulbound rpg and the day after lolis will be teaching us how to play machi koro which is something that we've actually talked about um quite a bit on the channel actually mm. and on the on the podcast so look out for that and uh we'll see you on them <laughs> fantastic thank you uh meanwhile over on dicebreak.com uh, we already have up, as of this podcast, a review of Cyberpunk Red um, from Richard Jansen-Parks, uh, chatting about the latest edition, which we've played a, well, a number of times now with Cody mm. Pondsmith, uh, who's kind of us, uh, kind enough to take us through. Um, we will also have, maybe by the time this goes up, I'm waiting to hear on the specific time that we can show you this, a review of X-Men Mutant Insurrection. <gasps> Uh, which is the co-op game from Fantasy Flight Games, kind of based on Elder Sign, the dice game, but obviously about X-Men. Um, mm, which sounds about the X-Men. Yeah, so Memphis Nelson had a had a pretty good time of it. It seems. It seems oh. like it does. It's qu- pretty faithful to the comic books. That's good to um, hear because I like Elder Sign and I like the X-Men. So yeah, it sounds like it makes the most out of kind of your your need to work together and kind of combine your powers. Um, so yeah, it it sounds pretty solid. Uh, we already have up as of us recording this, but of course it's still on the website for you to go and read. Um, ben Burns went through the making of Eberron, which is where we ran our first Dungeon Breaker arc um, <gasps> season, in fact. 
um, which was originally created in a contest in 2002, um, a cash prize contest, uh, which Keith Baker, who would then go on to make Gloom, won uh, the card game Ooh. Gloom. So it's, yeah, if you're not familiar with Eberron, it's kind of like steampunky fantasy in the world of D&D. Um, but mm. the story behind it is, is really interesting um, and kind of what uh, Keith went on to do and some of the other kind of uh, winners of the contest. Uh, we will have maybe, probably next week, uh, Alex Meehan chatting about Root to bring things full circle. Uh, all roads lead to Root. <laughs> all roads do lead to Root. It's more that Meehan's always talking about Root, so we might as well just shove a keyboard in front of her. Well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's that's all you can type, Meehan. It's like um, yeah. Jack in The Shining. Uh, that's, you're I was just thinking typing of that episode of Dexter's Laboratory where he can only say "om les deux because I'm a man of culture, man. Mm, yeah, <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, so me and you'll be telling us why Roots World well feels alive, why it comes alive, um, thanks to all its kind of different factions interacting, mm, um, which is a very yeah. good piece because I've already had the pleasure of reading it. Um, so look forward Don't to that. Spoil it, Matt. Show it off. Uh, and also to give give something that I wrote a little plug for once. Uh, I spoke to some folks about Call of Cthulhu in Japan and how it's actually bigger than Dungeons and Dragons um, in Japan. And that's kind of a, a fascinating combination of reasons that includes people using dating video games to play out their Call of Cthulhu campaigns <laughs> using synthesized voices, uh, and also an anime where the old ones make friends with a high schooler. Um, so uh, for this confluence of reasons, Call of Cthulhu is absolutely huge in Japan um, and is is basically what D&D is to, to the US or the UK in terms of pure influence and being synonymous with tabletop role-playing. Um, so yeah, mm. go check it out. So, Sugoi yeah. desne, how interesting. <laughs> there's there's a lot more coming uh, in, well, in the next week uh, before we return with the podcast. Um, but you'll have to look forward to that until we return next Friday thank you Wheels for joining us you're welcome thank you Alex Meehan you're doubly welcome (laughs) I've been Matt Jarvis thank you for listening stay safe out there look after yourselves until we return have a lovely day bye bye bye